Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Heavy Metal Crayons. From the same heathens that brought you jazzy gel pens and mariachi markers, try brand new Heavy Metal Crayons. Why color with boring old red when you can use lamb's blood or demon horn? Chant your vengeful mantras and pine for terminal desolation while using the all-new fire and flame shade of orange. We've even managed to identify the colors of anarchy and torture. Also, be sure to try the new Prince of Darkness edition, which is just 666 shades of black, including abyss, witch hunt, sin, and eternal damnation. Heavy metal crayons. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. I'm from the to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, go to right, walk to the side. Twenty-five lighters for my twenty-five folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero. That's right. Two for the price of one this week, brought to you by Armchair Media and our friends at MyBookie. MyBookie.ag is the number one online sports book in the world. Whether you want to bet playoff baseball, which, by the way, it's about to happen. Whether you want to bet college football, we're starting to get into the swing of things. Season is officially a third of the way through. Whether it's NFL football, there have been some crazy lines and crazy games already this season. MyBookie.ag is the place to go. You use our promo code CHAIR, C-H-A-I-R, like you sit on. They're going to give you a 100% deposit match up to $1,000. So make sure you're taking advantage of that. You put in $100, bucks, they will give you another 100 bucks. You can double your profit margin. If you like betting the fights, MMA or boxing, boxing has uh, was it Errol Spence and Sean Porter about to, about to throw down. That's going to be an epic fight. You want to get in on that action, make it a little bit more exciting. MyBookie.ag is the place for you. All the most updated lines and prop bets listed out, easy to find, really easy user interface. If you have a question, their customer service is second to none. Remember, mybookie.ag, promo code CHAIR. Play, win, have a great time. All right, Doc, this is a first for us, having two episodes in a week. Um, I don't want the listeners to get spoiled, um, but it's only been one game since we've spoken before, so 
We're gonna have to. We're gonna have our, our work cut out for us to make sure that we don't make it sound like we're rambling. You know, we can make some giant sweeping declarations about what we saw in the nine six loss yesterday to the Royals. I, I vote yes. I, I vote that we just get completely out of hand with our predictions for the next four or five days. I mean, it, it's the Royals, and you can't seem to beat a Royals team uh, after announcing Ned. By the way, before we get into that, I'm already kind of derailing the show here. Are you surprised that Ned Yost is retiring? Not particularly. I mean, the 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 run has to to come to an end at some point, and he the way that he might be feeling right now, he might just be looking at it and saying, "Okay, the Royals are trying to build back up through the draft. Well, I already sat through this once, and I don't know if I have it in me to sit through it again." So, you know, he's leaving with a with a World Series ring, and anything after you get that is just kind of icing on the cake. So, but I will say that it'll be weird not having either Yost or Bruce Bochy uh, managing next year. Pretty strange. Did it surprise you? I, a little bit. It really shouldn't because Yost has been around a long time. He just always seems like one of those constant figures in baseball. And the other question I really have is how how do you and how do most Braves fans feel about Ned Yost? I've always loved Ned Yost. I thought he was a phenomenal third base coach. Uh, I thought he did a good job with the Brewers, even though they were going through some hard times, and he brought the Royals back to relevancy. I. I'll be honest, I love me some Ned Yost. Same here. I mean, a lot of the memories I have of him are, are from the days when it was him and Pat Corrales and Jimmy Williams being, being the coaches on the corners. Um, you always wish the best for him. Whenever you see anybody who kind of came through <clears throat> the system, whether it's a player or somebody that spent a lot of time as a coach, uh, similar to Dayton Moore, even I know a lot of us have our opinions on, on Dayton Moore and how he actually functions as a GM, I think that we can all remember when he was when he was with Atlanta and he was like the next big thing, this new hotshot guy. You always want those type of guys to succeed. So, you know, I, I have no ill will towards Ned Yost with the interleague play being being as rare as it is. I actually, truthfully, I'll be honest with you, man, I don't think about Ned Yost a whole lot. But whenever I do think of Ned Yost, it's all thumbs up and, and uh, you know, spaghetti and meatballs. Well, I've always kind of liked the Royals for I mean, I love their uniforms. I thought I think their their uniforms are some of the best in baseball. I'm a big fan of Jorge Soler and I, I was a fan of Alex Gordon for a while before Father Time rudely hit him in the face with a two by four. Um, so, you know, I, I'd say it's a good career for Ned Yost. I don't know where you'd rank him as far as the coaches in baseball, but I think he might be a little bit of an underrated guy. You don't really ever hear his name come up aside from that one year as far as like top managers. I don't know if that's more just the way that the game has changed or, or, or really just a mark to how many good evolving managers there are in baseball right now. No, pro- probably very true. I think that he sits kind of in that old school camp, and some of it is, is through no fault of his own. He's, it just seems like he's been around for forever. How long ago was it that he became the Royals manager anyway? It's like, yeah, like you said, it's like he's like he's kind of just a, a mainstay. He's always there. I mean, that's a good question. I would say like 2012, but I'm going to have to check that out because I, I could be totally wrong. I feel... I feel like it, it's it's not been crazy long because he was also with the Brewers for a while. Do you know he's also almost sixty five years old already? It, it seems like I remember him when he still had black hair. I kind of remember that too. Um, well, shit, it's a wonder that it took him this long to retire. Then, for as bad as they've been, that's you know he's going to develop a heart condition if he's not careful. <laughs> 2010 is when he took over the Royals. Yeah, so I mean, he put in a decade. 
You know, like he said, and he made two different World Series. He oversaw basically the Royals crawling out of the gutter and becoming relevant again and seeing guys like Mike Moustakis and uh, Eric Hosmer, Alex Gordon, those guys that were just high draft picks that wound up becoming stars in Kansas City. So it's similar to, to what I kind of said about Snit last week. Like, it's easy to critique somebody's management style when they've got crappy players. Um but then when you start seeing seeing the younger guys come up, like in 2016, a lot of people were really really critical of Snit because, like, well, he just he had Jace Peterson as as like the third best option in his lineup. You know that wasn't necessarily his fault. So anything that he did wound up being magnified because the actual results he were, he was getting were not particularly good because he had crappy players. It's a similar thing with Yost. You see see what happens when he starts getting some good players and he can kind of. Um, he can be the leader of a really strong squad and maybe it makes him look better uh, than he is, but you know, that's, that's only fair if he's got to endure being made to look like he's worse than he is when things are bad. I just, you're going to have to bail me out here. I'm just, I'm floundering. (laughs) (laughs) Just floundering. I I mean, I'm not really sure why I'm sure our listeners like, dude, why are you guys talking about Ned Yost when there's more important things to talk about? Like Acuna getting pulled out of a game. I promise we'll get to that in a second. I, I want to, expound on on the playoff chase for a little bit first we already know the Braves have have their spot locked up the Cardinals are locked up um the Dodgers are locked up but the AL wild card race if if you're if you're struggling trying to find some meaningful baseball to watch you might have to stay up a little bit later to watch some of these games but the AL wild card race is awesome right now absolutely is I think that we we both knew that Tampa was going to wind up being really good and there were there were some questions about Oakland and Cleveland, I think you and I both, as we'll get to in the second segment, when we were predicting the AL Central this year, we both picked Cleveland to win the division, but the Twins have kind of come up out of nowhere. So as it stands now, there is half a game separating Oakland, Tampa, and Cleveland, and those are all 90-win teams. So somebody's not going to wind up going to the playoffs. So this is the type of year where if you like a good pennant chase, this is that is the type of race to watch. And it just kind of goes to show you the top heaviness of the AL because you have all those teams bunched up at the top, but there's also some of the worst teams in baseball floating around the AL. Not just the Royals, or, or I mean the Orioles as well, the White Sox, even though they've gotten a, incrementally better um, as as Eloy Jimenez and company have started to get a little bit more comfortable. Yohan Mankata finally had a season that people were kind of expecting from him. Um, but But you're right, talking about teams like Oakland, who started out so horrifically that we thought it was done for them, or or Cleveland, that for the longest time looked like their reign was over and they were going to have to sell off. Um, Tampa Bay is always one of those teams that I think Kevin Cash is the best coach in baseball. They're an extremely smart organization. They're they're run really well. They're a well oiled machine. The only problem is you got to get them out of Tampa so you can get some people in the actual stands to watch that team because they're a fun, exciting team that does a lot of things. Unless you're a fantasy owner, and then you probably hate Tampa uh, because you never know when they're actually going to play a member of their squad. Um, but the the AL is really exciting right now. The NL everything's kind of locked up. But if you want some drama, the NL Central there there's still some potential particularly with the Brewers and the Cubs. I I think that we can go ahead and count the Cubs out. I think they're, what, four four back now, four and a half, uh, with like five games to go. So it would, it would take a minor miracle, I think, for the Cubs to make it. Um, a little bit shocking. I thought when Yelich went down that the Brewers would crumble, but credit to Craig Council, man. He's kept that team motoring on, and while I don't think they're a particularly tough matchup for any of the playoff teams, 
if it keeps out the Cubs, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I think that everybody in baseball, as soon as they saw that Yelich was out, we just said, okay, well, thanks for playing Milwaukee. We'll we'll just see you next year. And they've gone on this unbelievable run, you know, nine and one or so, something like that since since he came out. And and you're right, not having him is to, is going to hinder them as as they wind up going into what's likely looking like the wild card game against Washington, but still, though, it's also a testament not just to Council, but for the rest of that team, too. You got Braun, you got Moustakis, you got Yasmani Grandal. Keston Hyora, I believe, is still active unless he's hurt, and then don't listen to me right now. But, uh, but Hero's been awesome. Oh, okay. Okay, good. So, I don't... I don't feel as ridiculous, but uh, no, the only thing on them has always been their pitching like their their pitchers. I don't feel their pitchers are good, and that's a that's a tough matchup with the Washington squad that coming from in at least champion Braves, you know, you think, oh, well, we handled them all year. They're still a tough out in the postseason just because you don't have to see their four and five starter. They can just keep going through those those three buzzsaws if they want to. Now, granted, Max Scherzer has not been good since coming back from the injury. I believe his last few starts, he's got an ERA over six, but it's Max Scherzer. So he's going to get that turned around. Uh, and, and you realize that the more bad starts he has, that just means like the the better that, that one start is going to be. So um, I, I think that they beat the Brewers pretty handily. Um, you know it's going to be Scherzer who's starting, I would imagine. I, I can't see a, a way that it's not Scherzer that starts. Um, if they give Strasburg the ball over Scherzer, he might literally burn down the clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, and and that that right there, you could do a whole lot worse than having Scherzer recovering and being your game three starter because you can, you can because you can lean on Strasburg and you can you can lean on Corbin to to be the anchors of games one and two. What the hell is going up on outside the my house? <laughs> um, it's okay. The do- dogs just have to get involved. Dogs love the T- the TPS podcast. So does. Pretty much everybody else. It, it it's okay. Okay, good. I will I will not uh, I will not stop recording and go go to reprimand them. But I I do think I think it's um, for as hot as the Brewers have been going up against the version of Max Scherzer, who my my thoughts on are very very well documented. That could kind of be the perfect storm for Milwaukee, just being able to ride the hot streak and whatever voodoo magic they've got going on in Wisconsin right now. I mean that could be really good for them and Washington. Stacks up well against the Dodgers, which could be hugely influence the NLCS, which you know we're all going to have our have our eyes on while we're in the NLDS against the Cardinals, likely. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of people that are hoping that Washington loses just so they can rub the whole Washington has never won a playoff series type thing in Nats fans' faces, yeah. and and I get that, but you know. I'm not one of those. For this first one, give me the easiest path possible. Let the Nationals knock out the Dodgers if they can. Let's see the Dodgers try to to take Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin out of the ballpark. Let let them beat them. We already know we can beat the Nationals, so you know, give me the easiest path possible in this first one. If we were to win this year, then next year, sure, let me annihilate the Dodgers. But for this first one, let, let's just get that first one before we we go all in on being petty. No, that's that's fair. That that's a good game plan. Now, you, you just obliquely mentioned the Braves. They're talking about we're going to face the Cardinals. And since there's only been one game, and there's, there's not much you can take from uh, a game that you lost 9-6 to the Royals, aside from the fact that Cool Cervelli got himself a homer. Um, 
you've got an interesting game that you want us to play, calling it Safer Out. And this is just talking about the postseason roster. Um, to be fair, full disclosure, I, I've got a, a little bit of news that I've been talking to some people. None of this is official, official yet, but uh, just, just kind of throwing some of my suspicions out there and having them uh, confirmed through the people that I've been talking to. So some of these guys we'll, we'll talk about a little bit. So when we do this, Doc, I think I'm going to let you start just for fairness sake. Okay. Well, when the first guy that we have on here is is Francisco Cervelli, D- do you want to answer whether you think or whether you know that he is safer out as far as far as the playoff uh, roster goes and say why you think that is a good decision? Well, I'm going to say with 99% certainty on any of these, just because it's the Braves front office, so you never know if what they're telling people is the actual truth or if they're just trying to spread information out to a whole bunch of people and see who's the one who's spilling the beans. Um, but I will say with a 99% certainty that, yeah, Cervelli's on the roster. Uh, had Camargo been ready for the DS, had Charlie Culberson not gone down, I think that it would be a different answer. But with the injuries that you've had, Cervelli is a guy that is the perfect mix of catcher as far as between the other two. He's a better defensive catcher than Brian McCann. He's a far better game caller than Tyler Flowers, and he's better offensively than Flowers. He's also playing first base tonight, uh, recording this on Wednesday, which is an interesting wrinkle because another name on this list that we're going to get to, uh, you and I are both pretty solid on what's going to happen with him on this playoff roster. But uh, with Cervelli, I think it's a good idea. I mean, I'm in the camp that I'd rather start Cervelli than Tyler Flowers. So if that lets you know how I feel about this move, there you go. No, and I, I certainly see why you would want to go with Cervelli over Flowers. I mean, the you're right on on all accounts. I mean, just Flowers, you have a lot of uncertainty. I know that Cervelli's really new, but but with Flowers, just the the pass balls or the wild pitches, it's they just really do add up. In certain cases, where you're looking at guys like uh, Keuchel and Flowers, work really really well together. So I think. Um, that that one's going to be pretty written in stone. And I think that Fulty and McCann will probably wind up working together as well. As far as having a guy like Cervelli, who is a third option as a catcher, I mean, he's obviously still a good hitter. You've seen him crank out a couple home runs over the past week or so. Having the positional versatility in case there's an injury at catcher or first base is absolutely huge for him. And he's a guy that you could bring up in, say, a ninth inning situation to pinch hit and then immediately pinch run Billy Hamilton for him in a, in a scenario like that. And part of where the positional versatility of catcher and first becomes kind of significant dovetails with, as you kind of alluded to before, is Austin Riley, who's the next name on this list. Riley can play left, he can play third, he can play first, but he can't really play batter very well right now. So that is where I think that Cervelli's going to wind up getting the nod over Riley in that case. Because, I mean, at this point, he's struck out and not even exaggerating. I think forty nine percent of his at bats since since he came back from uh, from his rehab assignment. So does that sound about right for you? Oh yeah, I think without a doubt, uh, Riley's not making this roster. Um, and it's a shame when you look at what he did that first month. But you and I talked about this last year, and we got killed by the usual suspects um, around the other blogospheres and the other podcasts. Um, got killed for it, of course, when Riley came up and had that super month. Um, but you and I both talked about Riley's going to constantly have this battle because his bat speed is not always optimal to be hitting high velocity. And if you can't hit high velocity here, then that opens you up to everything else, which we've seen 
with Riley, pitchers know now they don't have to throw a fastball. They can literally just throw three straight sliders, and it's totally in his head right now. Um, he had that that amazing month. He actually performed really well in the outfield this year. I would still say it's been it's been a decent rookie year for him. It's not been amazing or anything like that. Um, but but it's been something that he he has a lot of positives he can take to the offseason, and he's got a lot of things to work on. So at this point, for Austin, maybe he could run into a home run. But you're talking about it's a legit fifty fifty shot that he actually makes contact with the baseball. True, very very true. So we've so far we have Francisco Francisco Cervelli as being safe and Austin Riley being out. So if Riley's going to be out, then this obviously means that Adam Duvall is going to wind up taking one of those outfield roster spots as well. Do you consider Adam Duvall as being safe or being out? I think Duvall's safe. Uh, Duvall has shown since coming back up, he'll go through cold spells, but if he gets hot, he's one of the, he's one of these guys that, that can crank out homers from the seven spot in the lineup, six or seven spot. He's a guy that, that you can bring into pinch hit. Now I think he's definitely behind Joyce in the pecking order as he should be, uh, because Matt Joyce has been really, really good this year. And Matt, Matt Joyce has essentially been what the Braves hoped that they would get out of Adam Duvall when they traded for him last year. Um, but I think Duvall has done enough, and he's got the defensive chops to know that you can play him in a late-game situation. The interesting thing would be, would you actually see Duvall brought into the field for Nick Marcakis? I don't think you'd see that happen, but if you're talking about purely defensively, Duvall is is that good of a defender that you could bring him in as a defensive replacement late in games for Marcakis. You absolutely could. You have the ability to do that with Billy Hamilton, too, depending on uh, how Ender and Ciarte is is doing as as far as his rehab goes, but yeah, you you saw you've seen Duvall make some pretty good plays in the outfield, especially recently. He made one, I believe, in the game last night against the Royals, running back on the on the fence and uh, and getting and picking up one on the run. So that that was a really nice play as far as pulling Marquez goes. I mean, unless Marquez gets hurt, I think he's going to play every single inning of the playoffs, whether whether we like it or not. I think I think that it would just be it would just be interesting if by the eighth inning you could you could insert Billy Hamilton into an outfield with Ender Inciarte and Ronald Acuna, or say Adam Duvall, Billy Hamilton, and Ronald Acuna, or any in, incarnation thereof, because those four significantly better defenders than Marquez, who makes all the plays right at him. So Marquez fans don't get mad at me yet. Makes every play that he can get to. It's just that question of actually getting to them that is a, a little bit of a problem nowadays. Yeah, we tend to get a decent amount of hate mail anytime we say anything bad about Nick Marcakis or Brian Snicker. We got plenty about Snit this past week, so don't don't get us any any Marcakis related hate mail this week, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try to I'll try to be good. Um, one day I think you and I can both agree on this one. Anthony Swarzak, um, easy out for me. He's out. I said this. <laughs> I said this when they got him. Um, that he he's not great. He, he went through a good stretch with the Braves, and good for him. He went through a stretch where he was performing far better than he had any right to, where his slider was striking out like every single person that, that he was throwing it to. Well, the National League adjusted him really quickly, and he's started to give up bomb after bomb after bomb, in addition to the the just kind of annoying things that have come out about his wife, the, the kind of things to make you turn your nose up a little bit. I'm not here to, to judge the guy off the field. I've never spoken to him, but just on the field, um, no way he makes this bullpen. He's given up 17 earned runs over his last 17 innings. And I th- there was a point like when he first came over here from Seattle, he was unbelievable, but he he's been, 
for as good as he was then, he's been equally that bad <clears throat> ever since. So yeah, I think he's easy out for me as well. And yeah, it's too it's too bad about uh, about his wife. The interesting thing is, ever since all of that news came out, that was pretty much the turning point for when he totally went in the tank. So um, I wonder if there's a direct correlation there. Anyways, before before we get too far into that. Um, Next one on the list, and this one's really interesting for me because I don't know where I'm at on this, and that is Darren O'Day. Safe or out? Mm, this one actually is really interesting because if you follow Mark Bowman, you saw that Bowman's question is, would Darren O'Day make it over Luke Jackson? Um, I don't. Th- I think that Darren O'Day is going to make it. I think the Braves have waited long enough to actually have him on the roster. I guess he actually is a real person. I guess we finally have to admit, unless somebody just is wearing his jersey, um, Darren O'Day is a real person. And he's got a fresh arm, which I think is, is kind of, I think that's the bigger deal as far as going into the postseason. He's got like no mileage on it for this year. He's um, he's a veteran type of guy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'll say safe, but I don't know how much you'll actually see him used. I'm kind of in the, in the same boat. I mean, when when you see him pitch, he's done he's done pretty well. He's He's worked around some base runners and... I think the only time he gave up a run was that that very first that very first outing, and I think that might have even been inherited, or or he let the runner get on, and somebody else scored his inherited run, something like that. So I mean, he's looked fine. You're right about him being being a fresh arm. That's going to be super valuable. But if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if they've used him on back to back days yet. And I think that if you're going to wind up running a short bullpen, so you can have a long bench, you want somebody that you know is going to be able to give you a couple of couple of innings. So for me, I'm actually I think I think I'm gonna have him out as far as the DS goes, but not rule out the fact that he could show up in the NLCS. Can I do that? I made this game. Of course I can do that. <laughs> I mean I think you can because I don't think you see the same rosters for the DS and the C S. There there could yeah, there could be some some tweaks in there and I don't think that even Anthopolis is bold enough to to pull a fake IL stint in the playoffs. Um, like halfway through a series, just to get him a, get himself a fresh arm. No, can I say this? I actually think it might be a better idea to have O'Day in the DS versus the Cardinals and leave Blevins off because the Cardinals' main hitters are all right-handed. And then when you get to the DS, maybe swap Blevins and O'Day because O'Day at this point is a rookie. He's that very rare right-handed only guy, uh, and Blevins we all know is a loogie, left-handed only. Uh, I, that would be an interesting case if you could see that happening. I don't know that it would happen. I don't think they want to do that to Blevins. He's played a, a fairly large role for the Braves this year, a lot bigger role than anybody should have had any expectation for. And I think that I think Snit wants to uh, wants to have him on the roster for the whole the whole schmeal. And they don't exactly have a ton of left-handed arms in that bullpen. But uh, I think purely against the Cardinals, it might be a better idea to keep O'Day and leave Blevins off. And that's that's something that's really going to go into a lot of these decisions too, as far as uh, tailoring the roster to to combat the one team that you're going to wind up facing. So I think we can both agree that Newcomb is going to be safe. He's going to be like the lefty anchor in the pen, right? Absolutely. Okay. So then, when you're looking at choosing between Jerry Blevins and like Grant Dayton, you know Blevins has Blevins was a loogie his entire career. But he's been pitching. I feel like he's been <laughs> pitching to a decent amount of righties this year. So far more than he should be. Right, right. So and, and that's why he got a B plus. Um, for anybody who was wondering, 
the so I I do imagine that it's going to wind up being Newcomb plus one just in case for the Cardinal series, in which case you could see being having Blevins used in his actual preferred role as a loogie, as opposed to having him log meaningful innings where he's going to wind up facing Goldschmidt. Um, man, I really wish that they would stop growling down there. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to see him facing Goldschmidt or DeYoung uh, or Jose Martinez or Marcelo Zuna. Like that, those are the big bashers for them. So that, that's who I don't want them facing. Um, the Grant Dayton thing is interesting because Snit has been more willing to use Blevins, but I think Dayton is the better pitcher. And Dayton, while you'd prefer to see him just against lefties, he has enough stuff in his repertoire to be able to to combat some righties as well. So I would have Grant Dayton on my roster. Uh, I think he's he's a. Uh, there's some outings where he'll get into some trouble, but it, it's pretty apparent early. You just have to be willing to pull the hook on him early if he doesn't have it. True, and and once again, that comes into you're gonna if you're gonna have short bullpens, you can have a long bench. You got to be really smart about how you use these guys. And and granted, you could have somebody somebody like a Freed, somebody like a, a Tehran, somebody who's going to be able to give you multiple innings, uh, just just in case. But you do you do still need to have somebody like like a Dayton who can give you a one and a third, and and have that be fine. But he can give you that multiple days in a row. So. I think in the interest of sticking with two lefties, I think that for Blevins, I would go safe, and Dayton, I would go out. I think, but that once again, that, that comes back to if you wind up facing a lefty-heavy team in the NLCS, looking at you, Dodgers, then then that's when you could wind up stacking them and having possibly three lefties out there as well. And it's important. It's important to point out that this is what we think will happen, not what you or I would actually do. Right. Oh, exactly. Exactly. So, All right. The the last two, I think you and I will both agree on pretty easy. Josh Tomlin. I think you and I. We already know he's safe. He's going to be there. Um, he's starting tonight. He's going to be the certified long man in the bullpen. Um, maybe they would use Freed in some situations, but I have a theory about Freed that if the Braves are up. Or if the Braves are, are if the Braves lose the first game in the NLDS, I don't think you see Freed because he'll be more counted on to pitch that fourth game. Uh, if the Braves win that first game, or even go up 2-0, then I think you see Freed. Um, if if you get into that situation where you're having to save Freed, I think Tomlin would be the first arm out of that bullpen. Game one is going to determine a lot, man. And, and I think that if the Braves are backed up in the corner and they're they're down to an elimination game, I think that no matter what, it, it immediately becomes all hands on deck. So um, Freed is going to be a great wild card to have in there. I, I Like I alluded to on the episode that came out earlier this week, I can't believe that that for as much of a rotation anchor as he has been this year, that, that you and I both, who are, are Max Freed defenders, were... Over here saying, you know, he, he'll be great out of the bullpen. Like, man, we were fighting tooth and nail to get him out of the bullpen at the start of the year. I don't really want him in the bullpen, but but there is some... If you're going to use Freed as a starter, it's better to use him at home if you look at his numbers. Whether you believe that there's any real validity to those or you know whether it's maybe he had to face the Dodgers on the road and the Phillies on the road. who He faced the Phillies on the road twice and the Phillies kind of crush him. So um, there, there's a little bit of disparity in those numbers. I still think Max Freed... Uh, is a good starter. I just think in the NLDS, when you only need to when it's a five game series, you basically you only have to roll with three guys. And 
right now with the amount of innings that's on Freed's arm. Basically, you'd be picking between Freed and Soroka because you want to have some more veteran guys in a pressure-filled capacity right there. So you know Keuchel's going to be there, and Fulte's been your best pitcher over the past month or so. So Freed, unfortunately, is left out. It's not that you or I think any less of him. It's just that that's the way it rolls out for the NLDS. For the NLCS, it'll be a different conversation. True story. So this leaves... The one guy that I think everybody in Braves country is it feels pretty extreme about, um, and that is Julio Tehran, especially in light of his outing last night, a Tuesday night against the Royals, giving up six and two and a third innings. He's not going to start in the playoffs. We can both pretty much agree that Julio is not going to start in the playoffs at all, right? This is one of those that I actually know for a fact he's not starting in the NLDS. Uh, and I doubt he'd start in the NLCS either. He's going to be there. He's going to be the bullpen, um, but he's he's not he's not going to start. So is the I think the only action that he saw last year in the NLDS against the Dodgers was pitching basically in garbage time in Game Four when it was it was after Sabatka had given up the home run to Machado, which basically locked it down. <clears throat> so he'd be used in a pretty similar capacity to that. Yeah, that would be – I don't know if, if he'd be the garbage time guy again. I think any situation that you would use Tomlin, there's a possibility that you would use Julio as well. I think they're similar. You pointed out before the show started that Tomlin has been better as far as not walking people, um, but they both give up a ton of home runs. And if you're asking me personally, if I'd rather have Julio or Tomlin, I'd rather have Julio. Yeah, I know his last few outings don't seem like it, um, but he does look like he needs a fair bit of rest. He has started to to look a little bit worn down. Um, you can tell me all you want about the only teams he's really looked good against is Miami, but I can pick apart any pitcher you want by taking away the team that he's that he's fared the best against. Um, I, I think that I don't think you see him used a lot. But I think if you do see him, it'll be for multiple innings and it would be a key situation where Snicker feels he needs a guy who's got a little bit extra as far as um, competitive drive, I'll say. I'm very glad to know that it, it doesn't sound like Julio has thrown his last pitch as a Brave because for the last, what, he became a pro in 2011, 2012? You know, Julio's been around a long, long time, and if that whole tenure ends with that outing against the Royals, man, that's going to be... That's going to be tough to swallow. It's entirely possible that they they don't wind up pitching up, excuse me, picking up his option for next year, which they they still very well could. He had a good enough year to where I think that he could be perceived as being a twelve million not necessarily a bargain, but pretty market value guy for for what he gave the team this year. Good good four or five, but uh, but you've really kind of started to see over the the past couple of outings that he's just not as sharp, and maybe. Maybe the reason why last year he didn't wind up getting used until it was the very, very end of the series, just like, uh, whatever, we're waving the white flag. Sure, Julio, you want to go pitch? Go ahead. Uh, he wasn't nearly as sharp last year. And and even even with a couple of bad outings in a row, you've still seen that he's got the ability to, to spin it when, when his heart's really in it. So maybe maybe he will get a little bit more high-leverage appearances this, this year, but... Uh, but yeah, I think that that Keuchel, Fulte, Soroka, and and possibly Freed will wind up being your starters there, and Julio just kind of gets in wherever he fits in. So Julio's safe, at least for now. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit later about whether he gets that option picked up. But for now, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the thing that's been on everybody's mind, the thing that's had Braves fans puckering. And it opens up a question that Doc and I have been talking about for what seems like the last six months. We'll get to that next, coming up here on the Platinum Sombrero. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero is brought to you by the Bridges and Hose Pants Emporium. Are your jeans obscene? Do you look whack in your slacks? Come on down to Bridges and Hose and choose from a wide variety of legwear. We also offer on-site embroidery in case you want to look especially ridiculous. And if you've got a rip in your drawers, Bridges and Hose can be stitching your clothes. We'll put new stitches in your britches. Located downtown, we're right next to the Pitches and Throws batting cage. Remember, britches ain't shit, but lederhosen and tricks. Welcome back, everybody. Doc Herbert here with the second segment of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast, episode number 82. Before we get back into the baseball talk, I just want to talk to you guys a little bit about Blue Chew. I got to tell you, I enjoy a little bit of Nookie. And I think I think it's safe to say that we all enjoy a little bit of Nookie. Male, female, whatever. And because of that, there's a lot of pressure to provide the best Nookie possible. And if you're struggling to get your sex game rolling, there's a tiny little chewable pill that's got your name written all over it, but not really because that would be weird. It is called Blue Chew, and it is going to save the day. If your lady is ready to go, you don't have to keep her waiting long. Just pop a Blue Chew, and since you chew it, it works in half the time. You can likely find something else fun to do while you wait for it to take effect. I don't know. Be generous, maybe. If you want to make a difference in your trousers as well as in the bedroom, go to bluechew.com. That's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.C-O-M. Enter our promo code armchair. Please don't make me spell that too. You get it for five bucks, and they only charge that to cover the cost of shipping this discreet package to your door. You can pop your lady's top, and she's the only one who will know about it, unless, of course, she talks a lot. Do it all for the nookie. Come on, the nookie. That's Blue Chew. Okay, so... During the first segment, we talked a little bit, uh, if I can use your word, obliquely. We spoke about, excuse me, spoke about the fact that Ronald Acuna left last night's game against the Royals with an apparent hip injury, and apparently he has uh, he has been shut down for for the rest of the regular season. I don't think that is a huge deal, just because there is um, only four games left. There's a couple built-in off days. This is going to wind up giving him a full week. But when you start looking at some of the other injuries that have befallen the team, Freddie Freeman is not even in Kansas City at all right now, dealing with bone spurs in his elbow that he's apparently dealt with for a very long time. When you look at this, do you see it as something that just kind of happens all the time to every team? Everybody's a little tired. Everybody's kind of playing hurt a little bit. Or do you think this is symptomatic of something much larger? Well, what you're uh, what you're referring to there would be the article I wrote early in this early in the baseball season about uh, Snicker and his inability to to actually rest meaningful players, uh, and that it, they would be worn down by the end of the year. Now, I think in the case of Freddie, you could make a point there because if it's something that he's been dealing with for a while, like bone spurs, the more you play and are throwing every single day, the more those are going to hurt. Now, it got aggravated on a little bit of a freak play, so there's nothing to say that that by itself wouldn't have occurred. Uh, but even before 
going down with the elbow. Freddie looked tired. He looked gassed. He was not hitting well at all. With Acuna, it's a little bit different. While I do believe he should have gotten rest for for the what about a month after Ender went down the first time, there wasn't anybody else to play center field, so he did not have an alternative to actually give Acuna a day off. So I understand that one a little bit more. Um, as much as I want to say, yeah, you guys should listen to my article. They definitely needed rest, and I do firmly believe that they needed rest because you're talking about going into the postseason where three of the top five games played in the National League are on your squad between Acuna, Freddie, and um, Ozzie Albies. I don't think it would have necessarily prevented these injuries. Uh, the hip thing seemed to happen when he was running. It didn't seem to be something like he was tired and he, over, he overexerted. It just looked like he twinged it, uh, and for a moment, the entire Braves nation puckered at the exact same time. Um, it's good to hear that he's going to be fine for the NLDS. Freddie worries me a little bit more because if you, if you aren't swinging well and you're – we saw with Mike fulton man, when your elbow is bothering you and it's your throwing elbow, it's a big deal. I'm not – I don't think that Freddie's going to allow himself to miss time. I think you'd pretty much have to like padlock him to his locker to keep him from playing. Um, but it, it does kind of make me a little bit nervous as far as his effectiveness in the postseason. Bone spurs are tricky, man. And and even with this being something that he says that he's been dealing with for a really long time, it is kind of troubling seeing seeing it crop up twice within two weeks and especially leading into, leading into the playoffs and what is going to be a, a very, very important series for this Atlanta team. I mean, I think that something like that, if it predates this season – then you do have to kind of wonder how much regular rest would have helped anyway, and w- with it cropping back up the way that it did, like you like you referred to it on a, on a kind of freak play, that's the type of stuff that that even through your best intentions of trying to insulate people from certain injuries like that, sometimes those type of things are going to happen. But for now, I think that as it pertains to both of them and, and anybody else that winds up getting getting hurt through the end of this season. There just should be a concerted effort to just give these guys a rest no matter what. You know, we got expanded rosters. Billy Hamilton can fill in over in center field. There was a need to get Austin Riley some at-bats anyway. So even as it stands right now, if the last action that Acuna saw was in the second inning of that Kansas City game, that still gives him eight and a half days between the end of his regular season and the start of the playoffs. And for somebody who is 21, you know, that that's an eternity. And even if he's going to wind up having a little bit of rest in there, then that's going to get him caught back up to speed. You know that he was going to wind up having to take a little bit of time off anyway with Ender allegedly coming back this weekend. So when you start juggling at bats, he was probably going to wind up getting a little bit of time off anyway. In an abundance of caution, let them sit, let them get back to 100% or as close as you can. And and just hope that that the extended time off it, it just serves like a like a phantom IL stint basically it's the best they can they can do without actually having to put somebody on the IL. And what this means is Acuna officially finishes his season with forty one homers and thirty seven steals. You brought this up in the the episode we did on Monday uh, about how you were hoping he would get to forty forty because you were worried that it might diminish the achievement. Uh, d- is that still a worry for you, or, or do you think that uh, people are going to kind of still recognize what type of year it's been for him? I think the fact that he did this while he was twenty one, if he can kind of replicate it uh, in. In future years, I think a lot more people will look back on the season and say, wow, well, you know, he, he wound up getting shut down 
at the end of that season, he he really stood a chance to make it. But if this is like the only time in his entire career, then then you'll look at it and you really start lamenting about like the one that got away or whatever. But as soon as he got pulled, I think we, you could uh, after the sound of everybody going, we you know you could kind of feel everybody thinking, okay, well maybe this just isn't the year. So since it's unfortunate, there's not really a whole lot we can we can do about it. Then I guess we'll just <laughs> just have to leave it be. So, uh, incomplete for now. I'll just give that an incomplete. That's fair, and I, I think because Acuna is such a superstar that I think it'd be a, a while for this to be actually forgotten. I think if he was one of those complimentary stars that it would probably be forgotten a little bit quicker. Um, but I do have another question for you, and this has to do with the... This is where I think Alex Anthopoulos kind of makes his mark known on the team, uh, because this isn't something that I would generally, general, generally uh, attribute to Brian Snicker. How do you feel about Soroka getting his start pushed back from Wednesday to Sunday, being limited to about 65 to 75 pitches, and being set up to pitch uh, in Game 3 on the road as opposed to Game 2 at home? His road splits are really, really impressive. There's there's no doubt about it. I think that he his road ERA is like 135, which is, I mean, you're talking absolutely elite-level stuff. But this is where you start getting into correlation versus causation. Is it just, is he doing something different in his routine on the road? Is there something that he's focusing on differently while he's out there? If so, then that makes it a little more replicatable. But I think if you're looking well, at something... Hold on. I'm actually glad you brought that up because I do know uh, that Soroka has not liked the mound at SunTrust Park, that uh, he feels it's too steep. And since he's long... Uh, he, he's had some problems with the mound itself. So they've been trying to smooth it out a little bit uh, and kind of make it a little bit more comfortable for him. But that is his big deal with the SunTrust Park mound, which, by the way, Soroka, not the only person to have struggles with that mound. Uh, don't forget Julio Tehran. After moving over from Turner to SunTrust, struggled for about two years before he really got settled into the home mound. Uh, that, that's, the, that's the story from, from some people that I trust anyway. Um, some people that have spoken directly with Mike Soroka and the team, um, that the the mound messes with him because he's so long. So that's why he struggles more at home as opposed to on the on the road. That is actually very fascinating. I I did not know that. Well, so so that actually makes me feel better about it then, because if there's something that's actually causing him to to pitch better on the road or or pitch worse at home, then you obviously want to play to the strength. So in that case. I mean, he hasn't quite looked the same. He looked like a game one starter for the first four months of the season or so, but in the in the last two months, he's kind of backed up a little bit, and uh, so it, at that point, it's not quite as much of a slam dunk. So anything you can use to play that competitive advantage, then by all means, I'm I'm all for it. And that also tells me, my dude, Mike Fultonavich is going to wind up starting in game two. So can you feel the joy right now? I mean that's impressive. Fulty is uh Fulty's had some good luck against the Cardinals in the past. He's certainly been throwing it the way you why you the way you wanted to now. And as I have always stated, give me somebody who can strike a lot of people out. Uh give me give me guys that hit home runs and give me guys that strike people out and I'll give you a team that you can win with because it's just easier when you don't have to count on everybody else making plays or put it in the hands of the juiced ball. When you can just go out there and, and mow them down to where they don't make contact, it's just easier to win games. So for Fulty, I think it's a good reward, um, especially for a guy that you came in counting on to be your number one pitcher all year, had that absolutely horrendous like 
first first half and another half before he finally settled back in. Um, and like you and I have said all year, the Braves were desperately going to need him if they're going to go far in the postseason, and that certainly seems to be prophetic now. No doubt about it. So Keuchel, Fulte, Soroka going one, two, three in the NLDS. How how is your hype level right now? Because I feel good. I feel really good about that. Oh, I feel great about it. I, I've said before, I don't worry about the Cardinals. I really don't. Uh, when you look at their team, yes, they're playing some great baseball right now. They're not playing great teams. You can talk about Arizona. We remember what Arizona was doing early in the year, but Arizona took a massive downturn. Um, and that's a team without Zach Greinke. It's a team that's kind of the magic fell out of Adam Jones, which you and I thought it would. Uh, Cattell Marte has been outstanding, but the power has significantly dropped off after the All-Star break. They're, they're just Now they're starting to be that. They're At the end, they were that team that we thought they'd be at the beginning. Uh, so I think that's a little bit of a little bit of false advertisement for, for St. Louis. Now, they have been good the second half anyway. Their starting pitching has been really good in the second half. I believe they have like the third or fourth lowest BABIP of any starting rotation in the second half, which shows that there should be some regression coming. Uh, but Jack Flaherty's been a major part of that, and Jack Flaherty in the second half has been one of the best pitchers in baseball. And he's one that I, I've had some talk. Patrick Mallette, one of our listeners, uh, w- was talking to me about uh, thinking that he's a prime candidate for regression. I don't necessarily agree. Uh, Jack Flaherty, this is what what they thought they were getting from him. This is actually how talented Flaherty's been. There's always just been a a couple problems in the way of him actually realizing it. Looks to have taken that step forward. So Flaherty's kind of the one you worry about. Michaelis hasn't been good this year. Uh, He doesn't walk a lot of people, but he hasn't been overpowering. But he's a guy that I guess he could turn back the clock to last year where he was spectacular if if you catch him on the right day. But aside from that, Dakota Hudson doesn't worry me. Adam Wainwright's washed. Michael Waka is trash. So... As far as pitching ways, you go into their bullpen, which has really good numbers, but Giovanni Gallegos is like the only guy that really worries you now with no Jordan Hicks. Uh, Andrew Miller has not been Andrew Miller this season. Um, John Gant has been kind of their, their number three guy back there. Um, the, the, they've got some good pitchers, but it's not scary. It's not anybody that I feel like, crap, they're going to shut us down from the seventh inning on. Uh, and then you get into their lineup. They've got a ton of power. You're talking about Marcelo Zuna, Paul Goldschmidt, Paul DeYoung. They've got big bashers in there, but as a team, they're hitting 235. And Doc, you know I'm not an average guy. Uh, but but when your entire team is hitting that low and your main star offensively, uh, Paul Goldschmidt is hitting like 266. Paul DeYoung is, is sitting at 235. Marcelo Zuna is sitting at 246. You know what that tells me? That tells me that that's a team that's going to strike out. That's a team that tells me that if you can keep them in the ballpark the same way that you did the Dodgers, only this is a much lesser version of the Dodgers. If you keep them in the ballpark, you win this series pretty handily. I think that's fair. I think that's really fair. And on on paper, I mean, St. Louis is kind of similar to how we looked at Washington a couple weeks ago. You can you can look at who they're playing when they're playing them. And yeah, they played the Cubs a lot, but the the Cubs have been skidding. I mean, they've they've lost seven in a row, so. And and some of that is 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 directly related to the Cardinals playing them tough, and some of it has, is directly related to the, the Cubs shooting themselves in the foot. But I mean, the Cardinals are, are a good team, but they you know they played a lot of games against the Reds. They played a lot of games against the Pirates. You know, I, I think I think it is a very winnable series. Uh, John Brebia out of the bullpen, I think is a is a pretty decent option. And you make a really good point about you know they're they're doing this without Jordan Hicks. You know, and they've turned to Carlos Martinez as being one of their late inning guys. And 
Martinez is fine. You know, the, they they are a fine baseball team, and I actually I picked them to win the Central coming into this year. But I, I don't I don't necessarily think that um, that they're going to wind up being a, as big of a hurdle. I say that now, but you know, uh, it's God, it's just crazy to think that in you know the next the Braves next playoff series starts in eight days. So. If things go right, we could be doing episodes deep into October where there's still baseball going on. And if things go sideways, well, then uh, we're going to have to start pontificating about the offseason in like two weeks, which is a weird place to be. (laughs) Well, speaking of things going sideways, uh, Doc had a very fun idea to actually pull up our offseason predictions so we could kind of take a look at how we did projecting how the season would go. So we've got these sitting in front of us. And um, before we get too deep into it, Doc, I just got to say, man, we didn't do too well. <laughs> we did better on our division winner predictions than we did on our free agent predictions. We we sucked in our, our free agent predictions. We did really, really bad. But we got we got some winners here. It looks like I got all five playoff teams right in the NL. You got most of them. Yeah, so we uh, we both got the NL, or I said the Phillies would win the NL East. Yes, I know. People have been pulling up my old tweets. Uh, Doc said Washington would win. Doc was a little bit closer than I was. Uh, neither of us picked the Braves, so you can yell at us as much as you'd like. But uh, So we got that one wrong. The NL Central, Doc got that one right. St. Louis is going to win that division. Milwaukee still has an outside chance, I guess. I picked them to win it, but it's going to be St. Louis. Uh, the NL West, we both pitched, picked the Dodgers. Shocker. Yeah, I think anybody who didn't wind up picking the Dodgers... Um Somebody, okay, that that MLB Network radio graphic circulating that every Braves fan has been tweeting at them that literally nobody picked the Braves to even make a wild card. Somebody, was it Ryan Spielborgs that had the Rockies winning the National League? Is that, Uh, am I making that up? I believe so. I think you might be right. I don't have that thing saved because I'm tired of seeing it on the timeline. Um, <laughs> I've seen it a lot. To, to carry that over to the wild cards, this is where people are going to scream at me. And somebody uh, somebody said it to the TPS uh, last, uh, what was it, a couple of days ago. Uh, I actually picked uh, Washington and St. Louis. Was that it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Washington is my wild card one. St. Louis is my wild card two. You'll notice I did not have Atlanta on there. Um I apologize. Uh, I'm glad to see I was wrong. Doc, you at least picked Atlanta for your wild card two. And your wild card one you was uh, was St. Louis? Uh, Milwaukee. Or it was Milwaukee. So it looks like you got that right. You got the NL Central and the wild card one right. I got to be honest. When I projected this, I actually thought I was being a little too homerish on Atlanta. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy. <laughs> and way, I, I take I that back. Milwaukee's wild card two. Washington is wild card one, I believe, right? As it stands currently, yeah. The uh, the Brewers, the last I saw, they were winning 8-1 in the, the third inning of their game, and they play the Rockies this weekend. So it it could be they could actually wind up uh, leapfrogging into home field advantage for the wild card. Milwaukee could. But but yeah, so you know we did we did okay, and I think that coming coming into the season, even for as much as people like to dig up the old tweets and uh, everything that Alex Carr was was saying over in Philly about how they were going to wind up cleaning up. I mean, coming into the season, yeah, I mean it, it's it was easy to look at Philly and say that they were going to be a complete juggernaut, but um, as it stands now, they'll be lucky to finish over five hundred. But shall we take a look at the American League too? Yeah, because this one, um, this one, we had some surprises. I picked Boston to win the AL East. That did not happen. 
I had you, you picked New York, which did happen. So one nothing to you. For the record, I didn't want to just go through these because I did so well. I got this. <laughs> I got this next one wrong. I mean, we both we we both picked Cleveland to win the AL Central. Uh, I think I think it was fair for you and I both to question Minnesota. Uh, I'm glad to see that they did well. I like the Twins, despite the fact that Kent Herbeck is is a twin and that they apparently celebrate his disgusting cheating. But um, I'm happy for the Twins and Rocco Baldelli. So you know, I'll take the L on that one. Yeah, I mean, in Cleveland, this, this was also before Kluber got hurt. This is this is where having one of your superstars wind up missing better part of a season is going to wind up coming to bite you no matter what. And they, they wound up, they traded Bauer and they lost Kluber and they lost Carrasco for, for a lot of the season because he, he got the leukemia diagnosis. Glad to hear that Cookie is doing well. Um, so yeah, that was, I think Cleveland was a pretty obvious pick there, but I don't think anybody also anticipated that Jonathan Scope was going to recover from Minnesota and that NC Boomstick was going to wind up hitting. He got the 40. I do know that he hey, got the 40. I would, hey, I'm pretty sure I would have predicted that. That's that's true. You are you are a bit of a, a cruise homer, though. I, I'm a cruise missile. Oh, I see what you did there. I like it. I like it. I, as far I give, as... <laughs> give it a 10. As far as AL West, obviously we both picked Houston. Um, I think we're going to pick Houston for the foreseeable future. Yeah, Oakland's a great story. We like we talked about at the top of the show with how they're they're kind of fighting uh, to make it into the wild card now, and they're doing it without Blake Trinan or Lou Trevino. But Houston is just silly. They're they're just a juggernaut. They're too. And we good. picked this before that before they even added uh, before they added Granky. Yeah. So and, and this Wild was before card. we realized that Garrett Cole was going to strike out three hundred three hundred people. Jeez, what an animal! Then uh, Wild Card, I picked New York for the first slot. You picked Boston. Neither one of us got that. Second Wild Card, I picked Tampa. Still hope alive. You picked Minnesota. So AL, we'll see. We'll call that a tie. Yeah, I think. I think that the the AL we don't watch enough American League baseball at this point. We're we're just guessing. We're throwing darts. Well, here's going to be where where things really clean up because uh, World Series. First off, I should mention I picked Boston over St. Louis. Uh, pretty sure that's not going to happen. And you picked Houston <laughs> over you picked Houston over LA, which has a distinct chance to happen. If that happens, if that's like a recreation of the 2017 series, like even Valerie was talking to me the other day about how good, just kind of out of nowhere, she's like. You remember the Astros Dodgers World Series? I'm like, yes, I do, and I love you. Thank you for bringing that up. That was. Uh, By the way, I feel like we should point out Sarah. Actually, my wife actually picked the Braves over the Red Sox for the World Series this year. Did she know? Well, it's so. Yeah, alive. I'll have to dig up the episode because I'm pretty sure Sarah and Val both gave predictions as well. Well, and do I do know that we we did the. Uh, I make Val fill out a playoff bracket every single year. She actually, she does pretty well. She swept in 2016, I think. She got that one right top to bottom. Um, she's pretty good. She she pays very close attention. Unfortunately, I'm badgering her with baseball talk all the time. She retains a lot. <laughs> now, unfortunately, the next part is the awards. And um, I would like to make one small announcement to my AL Rookie of the Year. I picked Eloy Jimenez. That was purely because I did not think that the Astros would actually call up Jordan Alvarez because I didn't think uh, I didn't think Kyle Tucker would suck as bad as he was. But I, it should be pointed out that I was the first person that you know of 
that said Jordan Alvarez is going to win the AL Rookie of the Year. That is. Did true. I not say that? Like before he actually got called up. Yeah, it was it was very early in the season, and um, and you, yeah, that was a pretty good call. Uh, is is his uh, OPS under eleven hundred yet, or is he just still crushing it? I mean, he he's just an absolute animal. I I I'm just waiting for Fangraphs to update him because they still have him as like a fifty five game power, and it's. It, it kind of makes me angry. So, Kylie, if you're hearing this, uh, update him because that man has – they updated his raw to 65. His game power is at a 30 right now, which is – he's hit a grand total of 50 home runs this year when you count his AAA numbers. Here's his major league line in 82 games, by the way, 350 plate appearances, 27 homers, 77 ribbies, scored 58 runs, 24% strikeout rate, 14% walk rate, Get this, a 356 ISO, a 372 BABIP hitting 326, 422, 681 with a 445 WABA, a grand total of 186 weighted runs created plus 4 F war in 82 games. How many professional at-bats does he have on the season? Do they have that listed? 351. That's a lot. That's a lot of professional at-bats. I mean, and that's somebody that you can't take away from getting the Rookie of the Year. Oh, we- oh, wait. I'm, I'm sorry. I played that off wrong. I didn't realize you were making a joke there. My mistake. <laughs> By the way, his, o- his OPS, this is the predictor. This isn't even the real one. I'm looking for his OPS right now. Uh, this, this guy is absolutely insane. His OPS, 1103. So it is above 1100. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's man stuff. I mean, and you you were not faulted for picking Eloy Jimenez coming into the season. I picked Vlad Jr., and that seemed like a foregone conclusion. But stuff like that never, the super obvious ones, it never fully winds up being as obvious as it seems. I mean, Eloy had some power numbers, but Jordan just came in and was like, hey, everybody, this award is mine. Y'all, that's cute that y'all tried, but uh, thanks for playing. I mean, and Eloy did get to 30 homers, I should point out. Yeah, I mean it's it's very impressive, and he he's going to be part of that next good White Sox core. I mean, White Sox are going to be really really good within the next two years. Like if Mancata keeps up, and Anderson, and like you said, Jimenez, they've got pitching, Dylan Cease, and uh, Lucas Giolito is obviously pretty special. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not mad at you for picking that, but uh, I would like to bring up the fact that I totally screwed the pooch on my NL Rookie of the Year choice. Yeah, I know. You, I, did, you picked Tukey. You didn't pick any. Oh, man, that didn't work. You might have Tucson. cursed him. I was so convinced. I knew it, dude. I knew it. I, I think I mainly did it because I wanted to make the um, rookie of the year. But uh, but no, <laughs> I didn't get my my stupid joke. And more than anything, I just feel foolish. I picked uh, Fernando Tatis or Chris Paddock. And had for, had had Tatis not gotten hurt, and been out for the season. I think I would have had a shot at that. Um, but I think you and I can both agree it's Pete Alonso by a landslide. Although he does have 50 home runs and a slugging percentage under 500. Does he really? Is that like six yeah. doubles? Yeah, he, he he is literally all or nothing. So uh, if, if Tatis had managed to stay healthy this season, I think he would have won it. Chris Paddock had a good season as well. Uh, he kind of got tired out towards the end and the Padres shut him down. But now is when we start getting into where my awards did not come to fruition at all. <laughs> so the AL Cy Young, I think um, I'm going to let you announce yours first. I had Garrett Cole. I might actually got one right. 
Um, this is makes up I, for, my, for my Tukey prediction. I picked Chris Sale. I mean, Sale was fine. His April was real, real bad. <laughs> he was not good this year at all, and got hurt. And so I think it's safe to say Chris Sale, who who ended up missing over half, like half the season, that's not happening. Uh, the NL, I still feel good. I picked Jacob Degrom, which you might be saying, "Oh, well, he hasn't been as good as last year." Go take a look at Jacob Degrom's numbers, and you'll be surprised to see, maybe or maybe not, that he's almost right on par with what he was last year. I mean, when you put up a season like he did last year, and and when when people start throwing around the term "bound for regression," it's never a compliment. In some cases, it's just <clears throat> it's just what happens. Like you talked about Jack Flaherty at the start of this. I mean his. His ERA and FIP, or like his ERA is under one, his FIP's under two since the All-Star break. He's bound for regression just because that's that's just what happens. Jacob deGrom was, he had one of the best pitching seasons like ever last year. And so short of, of besting that, I mean, then then regression is, is I mean, sometimes a natural thing. He had a nine-war season as a pitcher a year ago. This year, he put up all he put up was a six point six, which is still incredible. That he is. still went with a <laughs> still went with a two fifty one, two seventy two, three twelve pitching line. Still eleven eleven point. He actually upped his his K per nine, walked a little bit more, slightly more, but um, the only difference the only difference this year and last year, only discernible difference, is that he gave up more home runs this year. His home which, run rate doubled, and that was it. I mean, every, everybody's giving up more home runs this year. Right. Like, last year he gave up .41 homers per nine. This year, .87. That's the only difference in his stat line, so that's got a for real chance. Now, I'm going to call foul on yours. You picked three. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> I count. I remember doing this. But I did pretty good. I had Max Scherzer, Jack Flaherty, or Walker Bueller. Um Flaherty, I mean, we're talking about how good Flaherty is and Scherzer. He's I, not I winning the Cy Young. He spent the whole first half not getting past the fifth inning. Well, true. Very, very true. But, you see, this is the good thing about picking, like, 40 different guys is that, that it really increases your <laughs> odds. You know, this this is why you spend $100 on lottery tickets. Uh, I mean, Scherzer, Scherzer's up there. I would, I would be surprised if he doesn't at least get a couple of first-place votes because uh, I think that he and DeGrom are pretty much neck and neck on F4. As far as the, I think that's the guy. If you're going to win it, it would be Scherzer. I don't think it'd be Walker Bueller. Oh no, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't even think Bueller's been the best. The best Dodgers pitcher. You know what I mean? I think no. if anybody in LA is going to wind up getting votes, it'll be Ryu. So, um, I only voted one guy for AL MVP, and it was the same one that you chose. <laughs> well, we put in Bregman because you and I made an agreement not to pick Trout. Well, and and even by the way, Max Scherzer six and a half WAR this year. Okay, so he and he and Degrom are are neck and neck with each other. Yep. Okay, so I still feel pretty good about it. And Bregman, if you get if you start and people if you start looking into most valuable player, it's not meant to be like the best player award, but that's really what it is. It's just who's the best player in the league. But if you're looking strictly at value, you look at the the Astros roster. You know they've won like 103 this year, and without Bregman, they would have won like 95, 96. I think without I think the way for us to figure out the winner of this one is who wins second place in the AL MVP voting. Right. If Bregman takes second place, then we win. No, and the, and that's and that's all good for for as bad as we did on some of these. We we can make our own rules as we go. But you, hey, t- man, I think you did pretty good with some of your later ones. Yeah, I th- I think so. I I uh, I bricked on the NL MVP for at least half of it, but 
<laughs> yeah, because again, you picked more than one person. Hey, you you started this, man, when you voted for two different Padres for, for uh, Rookie of the Year. That's on me, dude. Well, me and you both picked Ronald Acuna. Uh, as good a season as he had, as he had, it's not happening. You also picked Christian Yelich, which not happening either. That's Cody Bellinger's award. It's wrapped up. Right. Um, Even when I cheat, I, I can't win. <laughs> but I, I, it was a good idea to pick Yelich. I mean, had he stayed healthy all year and gotten to that that fifty uh, thirty plateau, I think he would have. I think he would have had a real shot at winning it because that number right there would have swayed a lot of people. But the manager of the year is always a tricky one to guess before the season. Uh, I actually think you might have gotten one of these. And I actually, I'm, I'm looking at yours, I think. You had Kevin Cash, and I had Rocco Baldelli. Mine for the Twins, yours for the either, Rays. I think, I think those are both. Either one. Yeah, I think those are both really, really good calls. Look at us. <laughs> this is one now, that we can actually win outright. We sucked in the National League. <laughs> I was about to say, neither of our NL manager of the years. I picked Andy Green, who was inexplicably fired last week. Uh, and you picked Dave Martinez. Yeah, at least my dude's still got a job. But he might. Yeah, only because Washington, is like Mike Rizzo, is just like. I don't want to fire another person right now. You know that they're just going to wind up bringing back Dusty Baker next year. They're going to fire Martinez. But uh, but yeah, so I mean, and, the, and it's so funny to, to look back on these because at the time that we were making these, I was convinced on every single one of these. Like when I'm choosing three guys for Cy Young, I'm like, one, two, three. It's going to be a three-way, first ever three-way tie in Cy Young history. I guarantee it. And looking back, I'm like, well, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> None of this. Makes I was sense. absolutely positive. Looking back on it, now, I was like, "Man, what were you thinking?" Right. You know, and you had Boston over St. Louis. They were coming off a hundred and eight win season. What you know, like that was a pretty decent call. Even losing Kimbrel, you could still you could still make that call. But but just goes to show you when you start making predictions early in the season, you know things things happen. Cleveland didn't win the division because Corey Kluber got head on the forearm and then Carlos Carrasco got leukemia. These are not like regression based things that you can really, you can really wind up predicting. So um, long story short, stop punking people for their off season takes. Well, there you go, guys. There's all of our old takes. We'll do it again here soon. I'm sure next week we'll do a playoff prediction. Uh, Cause I do like doing predictions just to, just to see how we do. Um, but, that said, we're up over the the thirty minute mark for for this second half. I think we've run out of usable things to talk about for this week. So, for those of you out there, hope you guys got a kick out of our predictions. Hope you don't uh, hate on us too badly. And Doc, we got to talk two times in a row on recording this week. This is this is a good week. This is awesome. I know. Thanks for joining me. Hey, dude, I'm uh, I'm glad to do it. And uh, with the, with the season drawing to a close, if uh, you know we can we can start doing more episodes since you you will not have your commitment to locked on in the off season, if I am not correct. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to announce TPS will be recording seven episodes a week uh, dur- during the <laughs> off season, multiple times in a day in some cases. So, in in other news, uh, both of us will be single. <laughs> yeah. So, bye, Val. I'll miss you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We'll catch you next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero.
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.